The senior pastor of Gospel City Church, Trent Griffith, explains that in the Bible, the concept of glory has to do with being weighty and valuable. He says glory characterizes Christ. Jesus has a weightiness to him. Jesus has a gravity to him. But the problem is, if you fail to see how glorious he is, if you fail to understand how weighty the implications of his life are, you will not be drawn to him. You will be drawn to things that you bedazzle that are less glorious. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. So think about this. When you go to the doctor, you'll have to answer a series of questions about your health, your family history, and so on, don't you? Your answers to those questions will help your doctor assess your physical condition. And along the same lines, when I go into the office, I'm required to answer a series of questions that will help screen me for COVID-19. And maybe you have to do something similar. Now, they don't ask me what I had for breakfast or what's my favorite color. They only ask me the relevant questions, questions that will quickly drill down and diagnose and eliminate a lot of unnecessary information. Well, the title of this series we're in here on Resonate is a question that can quickly get to the heart of your spiritual condition. It's like a spiritual screening question. And the way that you answer this question determines a lot about you. The question, of course, is one that Jesus asked his disciples. It's this, who do you say that I am? Here's Pastor Trent with more. Let's get our Bibles open to Luke chapter 9. And we are continuing this series based on the question that Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And everything that Luke is writing in his gospel is his attempt to answer that question. He's actually writing a real letter to a real person named Theo, and he's introducing him to Jesus. And So every time we open our Bibles to the gospel of Luke, we're being introduced to Jesus. And whether this is the first time you've been introduced to him or whether you're getting reintroduced to him, every time we look into the scripture, It is an opportunity for God to open our eyes and open our ears to hear and confirm the answer to this question, who do you say that I am? Now, the last time we were together, we saw that Jesus literally asked that question of his disciples. One of the disciples spoke up, Peter, gave the answer. He said, you are the Christ of God. And that's the correct answer. Good job, Peter. And then Jesus went on to explain the implications of knowing the answer to the question. If you know who Jesus is, you're going to become a follower as a disciple. And the disciples have these distinguishing characteristics. They continually deny themselves, take up their cross, and they follow Jesus. And so they daily die to self. They daily deny themselves of the pleasures of this world, and they follow Jesus. What direction are you going today, Jesus? I'm going that way. I trust that's the way you lived your life in the last week. Now, Jesus is now going to reveal a side of himself that Peter knew nothing about. He knew one side of Jesus. He didn't know the other side. And we're going to see that as well as we dive into it. Let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 27. 
Jesus is speaking. He says, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Who's Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to his 12 disciples. And he says, some of you disciples, not all of you disciples, but some, we're going to find out later, it's 25% of the disciples are going to get to see the kingdom of God before they die. Now, we would read that statement and kind of scratch our heads. Theologians kind of have different interpretations of what is he talking about? The first thing that we would race to if we saw that is we would think, well, that must be talking about when Jesus is coming back in his glorious appearance, when he brings the kingdom of heaven to the kingdoms of the earth, the kingdoms of earth become the kingdoms of our God. Is he talking about the second coming of Jesus? No, he is not. We find out what he's talking about because the story continues. It says in verse 28, Now, eight days later, after these sayings, and so he connects the things that we just read to the things that we're about to read, he says he took with him Peter, John, and James. How many disciples? Three disciples. Some of the disciples? Yes. And so he takes some of the disciples and went up on a mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. Now, the Gospel of Matthew uses a different word. It it says his face was transfigured. It says his face shone like the sun. Not because the sun was shining on it, like some of you that got sunburned on the 4th of July, but the sun was shining from it. It was coming from the inside out, not a reflection of something coming from the outside in. Jesus' face was altered. It was transfigured. Same word, the Greek word there is metamorpho, the word that we get metamorphosis from. It was completely changed. Peter had never seen anything like this in Jesus. Jesus was transfigured in front of him. Then it says, his clothing became dazzling white. And so there was like a fireworks show going on around Jesus. And we, we look at this and we're like, I, I don't know what to make of all that. I, don't, I mean, can you just let your mind imagine if you were there on the mountain with Peter, John, and James, what you would actually be seeing. Jesus was revealing something about himself that had not yet been known, namely his glory. We're going to talk about that word. And I want you to hear something this morning. Jesus has the same desire to reveal his glory to every disciple in this room that he had to reveal his glory to Peter, James, and John. Every time we meet together in worship, it is an opportunity to climb the mountain to see the glory of God. And by the way, you don't even have to gather together to do it. Every time you open your Bible, every time you approach Jesus personally in prayer, it is an opportunity to see the glory of Jesus. And listen, until you see the glory of Jesus, you don't really know him as he is. 
So this is the term that theologians, theologians call the transfiguration. If you want to impress your friends this week, use the word transfiguration in conversation, okay? So let's define what we're talking about here so we can dive into it here. The transfiguration of Christ was a gracious self-disclosure of the glorious nature of God embodied in Jesus, Now, every word of that definition is very important. Let's break it down a little bit. First of all, understand, this was a gracious event. It was a gracious, intentional act of God. Not only to send Jesus as God, from God, to reconcile us to God, Jesus not only appeared in his humanity, but in this instant, he revealed his glory, his deity. And it was a gracious act. You know why it was so gracious? Because none of the disciples deserved this. None of us deserved this. We had all turned our backs on the glory of God. We had fallen short of the glory of God. We had assigned glory to lesser things and been more interested in glorious things that are not so glorious. And yet God in his love and his kindness and his mercy and his grace came to where we are as disciples and you know what he did? He unzipped his humanity and revealed his deity. It was a gracious act. And notice, it was self-disclosure. Nobody made God do this. And understand this. Truth about God is not discovered. Humans think that somehow we just sit around, we just need to sit around and imagine what God is really like. And maybe, maybe we'll figure it out. Truth about God is not discovered. Truth about God is graciously revealed. It's an intentional act of God. He speaks. He opens our eyes. He opens our ears so that we can understand what God is like. We have a God who wants to be known. We have a God who wants to be loved and treasured and valued and glorified. And so God comes to us, and that's what Jesus was doing with these disciples. He took them up the mountain. He graciously gave them a preview of coming attractions, what he was going to be like in all of his glory one day when he would come again. It was God disclosing himself. Now, by the way, You don't need any new revelation from God. There is no new revelation from God. If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. All we need to do is open our eyes to see the truth that has already been disclosed for us in Scripture and through the Spirit respond to it in worship. So it's a glorious It's a gracious self-disclosure of the glorious nature of God. So what did Jesus show them? Jesus was showing them his pre-existent glory. The glory that Jesus had, he had had from all of eternity past. And so what Jesus did when he came to earth was he embodied himself in a human body, zipped himself up in a human body, and on this mountain he unzipped and showed them his glorious preexistent nature, and he was also showing them his glorious future 
nature that we would all experience when he comes again in his glory. This is a mind-blowing experience. I love this section of scripture because we're going to find out it actually packages the whole Bible from the first page to the last page, all in this one paragraph. It is a self-disclosure of the glorious nature of God embodied in Jesus Christ so that we respond in worship. Now, you may look at all that as like, ah, I didn't get up the mountain. I'm like the other nine disciples. I wasn't one of the chosen ones. How many of you, when they did Red Rover, you never got chosen? You were always not, you were just like, yeah, well, I guess you have to go to that team over there. Now listen, there were nine disciples that didn't go up the mountain, okay? He only chose these three. And so you and I need to understand that we still have the opportunity to see his glory. This is what the transfiguration is for. There's a purpose for this, and I want you to see it. Jesus transfigured himself for the purpose of transforming me into a disciple. Until you experience the glory of Jesus, you'll just see him as a man. Good teacher, miracle worker, ancient prophet, lived so long ago, I'm not even quite sure we can understand him. But a true disciple is one that sees him and knows him as glorious. Do you know his glory? Have you had an encounter with his glory? Do you have an encounter with his glory every single day? That's what true disciples go after every day of their lives. And there's a pattern here in the story that I want you to see. I call it the cycle of a disciple. The disciple cycle. Here's what it looks like. Here's what happens. God gives revelation and that motivates me to worship and that worship sends me on mission, and that mission drives me back to more revelation from God. And that revelation inspires my worship, which motivates my mission, which sends me back to see more revelation of God. This is a cycle that continues throughout the the life of a disciple. This should be happening every day if you're a true disciple of Jesus. God supplies the revelation. He discloses who he is and what he's doing. You respond in ascribing glory to him. Do you see it? The two directions of glory. God sends glory down in Jesus, and then we send glory back up to ascribe glory to him. And then he sends us out to be involved in the glorious mission that he is on in the world. This is the life of a true disciple. The more revelation you have, the more you want. The more worship you experience, the more worship you want to give. And the more you're involved in the mission, the more you want to go and see that great commission fulfilled. So this is going to be the outline of the sermon today. First of all, let's start with Revelation. First of all, a true disciple speaks like this. I need continual encounters with the glory of Christ. And just as Peter, John, and James experienced that glory, you and I as disciples need this continual encounter with the glory of Christ. Notice here in verse 28, it says that uh, they went up the mountain to pray. Notice the intentionality involved. When was the last time you climbed a mountain? Did you notice there's a little uh, 
intentionality involved. It takes a little preparation. Um, did it require some effort and some planning to even get here today? This is like the mountain. If you have children, you know it took some effort and some planning and some coaching and some feeding. At the invitation of Jesus, you've come and you are longing for an encounter with Christ. Everything about this worship service is designed for us to see the glory of Christ and ascribe glory back to him. It's as if we're climbing this mountain. Verse 29 says that his face was altered and it it uses this strange language. His clothing became dazzling white. When's the last time you used the word dazzling in a conversation? I think when you try to describe the glory of Jesus, pretty quickly you're, you're exhausting the limits of your vocabulary and you start picking words like dazzling and brilliant and majestic and, and all kinds of different things. Um, Andrea and I have noticed that there is a phenomenon taking place in our culture among two different demographics of women. First of all, pre-adolescent girls and elderly senior citizen women. The same phenomena is happening in these two groups of women. Do you know what I'm talking about? Bedazzle. Do you know what you know what it means to bedazzle something? Have you, have you seen the, these sequins and these buttons and the glitter that they put on everything? It's happening in these two. And my wife says, you know, these, these the elderly women, is, it's like, I, I just think she feels like she's lost her sparkle. And so she has to put as much sparkle on as she can, you know? And so, listen, so we bedazzle things. And you know, the reality is the human heart tries to bedazzle everything but Jesus. We, we try to make things sparkle that don't have as much glory as Jesus. Jesus doesn't need to be bedazzled. There are churches that try to bedazzle Jesus and like try to make him appear more appealing to people and make him sparkle and shine and, and try to get you to be attracted to him. The, the word glory is a very interesting word. We see it here. Jesus is revealing his glory here. The word glory actually means to be weighty. It's like the gravitational pull that the earth has on our bodies. We are being drawn to this large mass that is earth. Jesus has a weightiness to him. Jesus has a gravity to him. But the problem is, if you fail to see how glorious he is, if you fail to understand how weighty the implications of his life are, you will not be drawn to him. You will be drawn to things that you bedazzle that are less glorious. When was the last time you had an encounter with the glory of Christ? If you are a disciple... That should not be more than about 24 hours away because every day we stop, we pause, we go up the mountain and we meet with Jesus in prayer. We open our Bibles, we read about his glorious nature and then we respond in worship. So what is so glorious about Jesus? If, if there's some intellectually honest people here, you're probably saying, I haven't really found Jesus to be all that weighty? I haven't found him to be all that glorious. Well, could I just try here for the next few minutes to introduce you to the glorious nature of Jesus? Ten attributes. 
that are glorious about Jesus. First of all, would you consider the glory of Christ's eternality? Let your mind explode with the fact that he never had a beginning and he will never have an end. Jesus is the great uncaused cause of all things. Jesus is not dependent upon anything for his existence. And yet, everything in existence is dependent upon Jesus for its existence. Everything that exists is dependent upon him. Jesus has always been the same in his eternality. Jesus is not getting better. He's not growing stronger. He's not improving in any way because he has an eternal perfection that has always been. And Jesus is made in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were made and before him was nothing. And he holds all things together by the glory of his eternality. Secondly, the glory of his power. The fact that he walked on water. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He calmed the storm. In Hebrews chapter 1, we're told he is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. He upholds all things in the universe by the word of his power. If Jesus were to stop holding all things together, the planets would spin out of control. Your life would spin out of control. Every cell in your body would disintegrate immediately if Jesus just simply stopped holding it together. The glory of his power. Or how about the glory of his humility, almost juxtaposed to his power. The fact that, through, that though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself gloriously and became obedient to the point of death, even a glorious death on a glorious cross. The glory of his humility, the glory of his wisdom. Think about the fact that Jesus has never been perplexed. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to Jesus? <laughs> Jesus' mind is filled with more information than Siri, Alexa, and Google. What Jesus knows is more than every word that has ever been recorded in ink, on paper, in every book in human existence. Jesus has never needed counsel. He's never been confused. He knows how to fix your problem without stress. That's the glory of his wisdom. How about the glory of his authority? That Jesus has authority over every demon, every man, every dictator, every woman, and not one demon, not one man or woman moves one inch without the permission of Jesus. The glory of his authority. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. 
He has complete authority over heaven. He has complete authority over earth. He has complete authority over hell. The glory of his authority. How about the glory of his holiness? He is completely unstained, unpolluted, uncontaminated by the evil in this world. He's never had an evil thought. He's never had a bad attitude on any given day. He knew in his humanity how to enjoy a complete buffet feast. Have you noticed the number of times in Luke Jesus records Jesus being at a dinner party? And just just food everywhere. And yet because Jesus is holy, he can enjoy an all-you-can-eat buffet and yet never sin. How'd you do the last time you were at an all-you-can-eat buffet? (laughs) Jesus could enjoy a feast and yet know when the next bite would be sin, and he never bit it. That's the glory of his holiness. He never disobeyed. He never stepped outside of his holiness. And the glory of his grace, which justifies the ungodly as a gift by treating us as righteous, even though we are unrighteous, because on the cross he allowed himself to be treated as unrighteous, even though he was righteous. That's the glory of his grace. And the glory of his justice, which will render all moral accounts settled, either on the cross or one day in hell. The glory of His justice and the glory of His patience to put up with my slow sanctification. When is He ever going to get His act together? He's never been frustrated by how slow my progress is or yours. That's the glory of His patience as day by day He transforms me into the likeness of His image. And then finally, the glory of His love. The fact that He does all of this to demonstrate His love that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. True disciples... Live for the glory of Jesus. True disciples make money, spend money, give money for the glory of Jesus Christ. True disciples go to work for the glory of Christ. True disciples go to school for the glory of Christ. True disciples live and move and have their being and die for the glory of Christ. You can't do that if you only know Jesus as a good teacher and a miracle worker. That's why you got to get up the mountain. you got to see him as glorious. It is a gracious self-disclosure of the divine nature, the glorious nature of God embodied in Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Who do you say he is? Do you say he's glorious? Wow, I love that list of ways that Jesus is glorious. That's Trent Griffith speaking about a year ago at Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. He just described some beautiful ways that we see Jesus's glory. If you miss them, here they are. The glory of his eternality, his power, his humility, his wisdom, the glory of his authority, holiness, grace, patience, justice, and the glory of his love. And we know all of that because he pulled back the curtain a little bit and revealed himself to us. That happened in a miraculous way on the Mount of Transfiguration, 
but it also happens every time we behold him in his word, as it talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Well, seeing and savoring the glory of Jesus is something that we strive to do every time we gather at Gospel City Church. And it's been good to be able to worship together in person again. If you'd like to worship with us, you should know that our main campus is on Hickory Road in Granger, Indiana, but we also gather in Elkhart County. That one might be closer for you. For more information about when and where we gather, just go to mygospelcity.org. Again, that's mygospelcity.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook by searching for Gospel City Church. Well, if you're familiar with the account of Jesus's transfiguration, you know that the story isn't finished, is it? Next week on Resonate, Pastor Trent will tell us what else happened that amazing day and how it relates to you and to me. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that the glory of Jesus and His Word would resonate in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.